Hi guys and welcome to season two, episode three of Just Keep Swimming. First of all, as I do every single episode, I want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to each and every one of you that has listened to any one of my episodes, whether it be one of them or all of them. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart and I want to say a huge thank you to all of you for all of your support. It's been really, really overwhelming and heartwarming and all of the other lovely words you can think of. Um, As I already mentioned, this season is all about you guys. It's about you sharing your story and your journey with me to kind of help others. So today I had the privilege of speaking to a young man called Joe who sadly lost his mum during the first COVID lockdown to sepsis. He talks about and shares some vital information about sepsis and what it is. He discusses some of the struggles that he had after losing his mum and he also talks about his challenge to find a therapist that was suitable for his needs. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Joe. it was lovely talking to you and I'll see you guys on the other side. Bye-bye. So welcome to Joe. Uh, thank you for taking time out to share your journey with me here today. Can we start off by you sharing a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, so my name is Joe, like you said. Um, I'm a recent graduate from Bath Spa University. I currently live in Bath with my girlfriend. Um, and I campaign to raise awareness for sepsis, which we'll get onto a bit later. Um, and also try to raise awareness for grief and my experience with grief um, to try and... Um, stop the stigma around grief um and yeah just talk about my experiences really so what brings you to this grief community and you know this whole grief journey can you talk about your person if that's okay yeah so I lost my mum um during the first lockdown of 2020 on um April the 29th to something called sepsis which for those that don't know, it's um, an extreme reaction that your body can have towards an infection. Um, And she was a key worker. She was a carer. um, And I remember going into lockdown and I thought to myself, well, my mum's going to be absolutely fine because she had a heart operation in 2016. So she must be considered high risk. So she won't have to work sort of on the front line. Um, Quite selfishly, that was my first thought. Um, and so I remember saying that to her and she said, no, I've spoken to my doctor. I'm not considered high risk um, and I have to continue working. Um, and then about on the 22nd of April, I remember calling her to check how she was doing. And from the moment I answered the f- she answered the phone, I could tell something wasn't quite right. She sounded very disorientated, breathless. She was going in and out of speech. I just knew something wasn't right. And so I hung up and I called my auntie and I said, look, I've just spoken to mum, something's not right. Can you give her a call and see if you think the same? 
And so she did. And then she called me back and she said, you're right. Something's definitely not right with your mum. Your brother's there now. He's going to call her an ambulance. And then from there, an ambulance arrived and she was taken to hospital with possible sepsis. And later that night, um, she was discharged and told that she had COVID. Now, she wasn't tested for COVID because at the time, tests were in an extreme shortage. Um, and she, yeah, she was told it was highly likely that she had COVID and that she'd be safer at home than she would be in hospital. Um, from there, she was at home for about a day. And then I remember getting a phone call to say that my mum had been taken back to hospital. She was incredibly ill and that it wasn't COVID, it was sepsis. And then within a space of about eight to nine days, um, we lost her. Wow. That's, it's, um, it's a very quick, quick turnover. Um, yeah. yeah. How did you feel when they, you know, they discharged her with um, possible COVID without obviously testing her obviously there was there weren't the resources and stuff but how did you feel obviously after you found out everything yeah so I was really quite confused to why um she was just discharged without having been given a test and I even um spoke to my brother and said is there any way we can pay for one can we get hold of one somehow um because why was she sent to hospital with possible sepsis to then be told that she had covid um and yes I was incredibly confused um just quite upset as well um because we were all on the news all you could hear um was hearing was how bad COVID was um and so yeah it was just a really quite worrying and upsetting time sure Can you tell us a little bit about sepsis? Yeah, so since losing my mum, I've um, found comfort in raising awareness for sepsis. Um, so I joined a support group with um, a bereavement support group with the UK Sepsis Trust um, about six months ago. And it came to my um, knowledge that sepsis is so hard to detect and it's often mistaken for other um, illnesses or other conditions like the common cold, the flu, um, COVID. Um, and speaking to others who had been bereaved because of sepsis just made me want to, to do something about it and to raise awareness and to spread awareness for the symptoms of sepsis um, which are fatigue, shortness of breath, um, even feeling like you're going to die, um, extreme shivering, a high or low temperature. Um, so yeah, since I had that first bereavement group, there's been no looking back really. I've um, fundraised to raise money for sepsis. Um, I've released news articles in um, the BBC and Yahoo Lifestyle talking about sepsis and my experience with losing my mum. So, yeah. 
it's nice to hear that you've you've done something very positive with obviously sadly losing your mom it's a really lovely great it's a great thing to do and it takes a lot of courage to do something like that thank you you mentioned that it's um very hard to detect yeah um and obviously you've outlined some of the symptoms and stuff um you mentioned that she was taken into hospital originally with a, a possible sepsis diagnosis yeah so did she have any history of something like that before or was it something that the doctor had just kind of you know raised how did how was the possible sepsis um detected originally when she first went in um so they have something called sepsis six um which was created by the uk sepsis trust i believe um and if um someone is suspected to have sepsis when they're taken to hospital um they mark you out of six based on different factors so for example your temperature your breath um your blood pressure all these different things i don't know all of them and then if you score over six that's when um it's highly likely that it's sepsis so when the ambulance was first called and the paramedics came um i'm not aware of why they thought it was sepsis to begin with i'm guessing she just had all the sort of symptoms um but i think when she was sent to hospital in the nicest way possible um the doctors and nurses were quite blinded by covid um because it was on all of our minds and because the symptoms were very similar to covid that seemed like the most likely reason for why she was having all these different symptoms okay thank you thank you for sharing that because i i don't have any real knowledge of all of like sepsis and stuff so it's 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 really it's really nice to hear about it it's good to obviously educate yourself and stuff and hopefully those people you know people are listening to this episode they'll be able to learn a little bit more about it as well through you which is a it's a, it's a great thing again I hope so too so my mum had a heart operation in 2016 like I mentioned yeah. um, and she had a mechanical um, valve replacement and she had an infection growing on the mechanical valve and that's what triggered sepsis um, and then that's when the body decides to fight itself rather than the infection. So it starts to fight like vital organs like your lungs, um, your liver, your heart. Um, and then if it's not detected, I think it's within the first few hours, the likelihood of surviving is very, very slim. It's a very extreme illness um, and it's a bigger killer than most cancers put together and just not enough people know about it I mean I didn't even really know about it until I lost my mum to it um and that's why I think it's so important definitely I think it takes you know it it's a lot of research and a lot of hard work and stuff that you've done to kind of get to where you are to actually know quite a lot about it um again yeah it takes a lot of courage to kind of do that with like a brave face and a and a strong strong heart um thank you for sharing that information about sepsis no problem
how do you feel you've changed? I know you've done a lot with the sepsis research and fundraising and you touched on a little bit. Can you give us a little bit more information? How do you think you've changed or your life has changed um, since losing your mum? Yeah, um, so life for me has changed in ways that I never really expected it to. The things that I thought would change have stayed the same and the things that I thought would stay the same have changed. So when I lost my mum, I was at university, I was doing really well. Um, and I had to make the decision whether I wanted to stay at uni or whether I wanted to leave. And I've always been sort of very dependent on my mum. It's always been me and her. Um, I've always lived with her. I have a dad who's absolutely incredible. Um, but I've always been dependent on my mum. And so like my student finance was based on my mum's earnings. Everything was based off of my mum. And so when I lost her, it didn't even cross my mind that I would have to reapply, but through my dad, because I thought I would be classed as an independent, but I wasn't. I was, because I had lost my mum, I then belonged to my dad, which was just crazy to me because I'd always lived with my mum. I'd always been dependent on my mum, never been dependent sort of on my dad. And sort of, there wasn't much support or much help out there and it was just like a very confusing um time and it sort of put me off going back to university to be honest because I didn't get much support or much help with the whole process um and then yeah I think it's also a very lonely time I mean I would class my mum as my best friend um I'd speak to her daily so going from having that person who's always at the end of the phone, and I'm sure you can relate, to not having that person at the end of the phone, it's just a huge adjustment and something that's taken me a very long time to get used to. I mean, I still call her phone every now and then. Um, and obviously I know no one's going to answer, but it's just that sort of comfort that it brings sometimes. Yeah, and we all find comfort in our own in our own ways, don't we, really? Yeah, definitely. What's been the biggest impact of of everything, just the whole, you know, just losing your mum, what's been the biggest impact? You talked about, obviously, the reapplying to uni and stuff, but has there been any other big impact since losing your mum? Yeah, so um, my mum always worked very hard for our whole entire life um, to be able to leave us something when she was to die. And so... When we lost her, we suddenly were thrown into this world that we knew nothing about. We suddenly had to find her will and sort her finances and her bills. And it was like a jigsaw puzzle, to be honest, trying to piece everything together. Um, And then it's sort of thinking, what's for the best? Do we keep the house? Do we sell the house? Um, Because I have two much older brothers who are in a very different sort of life stage than myself. So we all have different sort of views and um, thoughts on what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so we've definitely had sort of our arguments and um, fallen out and not spoken to each other for a few (laughs) weeks at a time. But it's also brought us closer together as well as um, pushed us apart. Um, So, yeah, I guess knowing what's for the best, (laughs) it's very hard.
Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree with that. Um, it's good that you've had the support through your brothers, whether it be the pushing away or coming together. It's yeah. a really big thing and a lot of different changes and stuff that you just have to kind of come come together yeah. um, through those horrible, horrible times. Have you tried um, counselling or therapy? Yeah, so um, therapy is something that I'd say I'm incredibly passionate about um, and something that I'm very open and honest about in my everyday life. Um, and I think there's often this stigma attached to therapy where people think, oh, what are people going to think of me if they find out I have a therapist? They're going to think I'm like really damaged or um, really troubled or really depressed and it's just not the case you could be the happiest person in the whole entire world yet you could see a therapist and for me um, I knew straight away um, after my mum died even during the lead up to her dying that I was going to need to seek some sort of professional help um, and I went into therapy pretty much straight after she died. Within weeks, I had found a therapist in my local area. And um, it hasn't all been good. I've had a real sort of journey with my therapy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a journey. Um, I found my first therapist by literally Googling therapists in my local area. As you and do, yeah. As you do, yeah. <laughs> and someone came up and she had really good experience. Um, she looked nice, liked friendly. Um, she had good reviews. And so I got in contact and I sort of explained my situation, why I was looking to start therapy, what I sort of wanted from therapy. And um, from there, we had a phone call conversation and then we had a face-to-face -face appointment. And during that face-to-face -face appointment, it was sort of an initial no-strings-attached um, appointment where at the end of it, you could say, right, this is for me. Um, I want to continue. Let's do this. Or actually, this is not for me. Let's go our separate ways and try something different. And for me, my first appointment went really well. Um, I found it really helpful. And so I committed to it. Now, I didn't realise it was going to be as regular as it was, but it was um, every week, so four times a month. And to begin with, that worked really well because I was just getting by day by day, week by week. And so I was using my sort of um, appointments as a debrief for the week ahead so I could go to my appointments, I could unload all my feelings and emotions and get upset and talk through everything with my therapist and then leave and then feel ready for the week ahead. And then a few, a good few weeks went by and I was just finding it so intense and I just didn't have enough to talk about. I had spoken about everything and there wasn't enough time in between each um, appointment. I just didn't have enough to talk about. And so I spoke with my family and my girlfriend and I said, look, I'd I don't think um, I need to be having therapy every single week. I'm finding it way too much. I think it's doing more harm than it is good. And they said, just bring that up with your therapist. Just tell her that you're finding it too much and that you want to cut down. 
And so sure enough, I went to my appointment and I said that I wanted to cut down to every other week. I'm finding it too much. Um, I think it's causing more harm than good. And she turned around and said that in her professional opinion, that would be the worst thing I could possibly do. And that I was on a journey and that if I go to every other week, I will derail from this journey and that, yeah, it will do more harm than good for me. And I wasn't in a place to sort of argue my side. And so I agreed with her. And so I continued every single week. And then I got to a point where enough was enough. Um, And a few things had happened. So I'll give one example. So my appointment was every Monday at 4.30. And I would always ring the buzzer to be let into the building at 4.30 on the dot. And I had about three flights of stairs to climb up to get to the appointment room. So times I actually sat down in my appointment chair, it was more like 4.35. But I was paying from 4.30. And so once I arrived to my appointment five minutes early. And so I waited outside and I had two minutes to go. So I thought, right. I'm going to ring the buzzer and go to my appointment. So my therapist let me in. I get up there. I sit down. And she goes, can I just remind you that you're not to ring the buzzer before 4.30? And that your allotted time is 4.30. You're not to call it any sooner. And I just felt so small. And I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. And I remember um, saying to her, oh, I'm really sorry, did you have um, a client? And she said, no, but I could have been in the bathroom, I could have been anywhere. And it's just the way she said it in her tone of voice. And I remember thinking from that point, I actually really don't like this woman and I get on with everyone. So why would I want to open up to you anymore? Um, And that was a huge sort of turning point for me. And I remember looking at my watch and pretending that my watch was um, ahead of time and that it was my watch's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just felt awful. I just felt really hot and sweaty. And then I just thought, well, how am I now going to sit here for 50 minutes and talk to you when you don't make me feel comfortable, make me feel good about being here? Um, And then it got to about Christmas time um, and she got in contact with me to say that um, she had been called in for an operation and that she was going to need to take some time off and then it would be about a month and a half. And obviously that's what has to come first. But it was uh, Christmas time and it was my first Christmas without my mum. So it's when I needed therapy the most. And so I said, of course, that's absolutely fine. I understand completely. But my mental health wasn't great and I was not in a very good place. Um, And I remember having a conversation with my mother-in-law. I'm not married, but I call him my (laughs) Um, (laughs) mother-in-law. It's just easier. Um, And she said, right, your therapist is not helping you in the slightest. We need to find you somewhere, someone different. And she knew someone who um, was in local to my hometown. Um, And she set me up with an appointment. And from the moment I walked into the appointment room, I just knew that this woman was going to help me. 
um she was just incredible she made me feel so comfortable so welcomed um and i just knew from that moment that this person's going to help me and i expected my appointment to be 50 minutes however i was in there for about 2 hours um time just wasn't an issue for for her she just wanted to know my story wanted to know how she could help me and she just properly explained to me all the feelings that i was feeling and why i would be feeling them and she would use like diagrams to describe um how my brain would work at nighttime um and she's just been incredible and a real sort of lifesaver really and i I expected to be seeing her every single week and she said well no when how often do you want to see me and I was said every other week and she just said that's great she said I don't need to see you anymore and then from there I've gone to once every three weeks to once every four weeks and now I'm sort of on a bit of a, a break with my therapy um but yeah I've been on a real journey <laughs> Yeah, sure. What a journey, though. What a what an insane um, therapist that you had. First of all, that's yeah, that's crazy that you've had to deal with something like that when you're going through what you're going through. Like people like that shouldn't be shouldn't be in therapy. <laughs> they shouldn't be no. doing that kind of job, should they? Not at all. And I remember <laughs> sending her my sort of notice, if you like. I sent her a long email of sort of explaining that I wouldn't be coming back to therapy with her. And she got back in touch about a few weeks later saying thank you um, for handing in your notice. Um, but I suggest we have a couple more appointments just to bring our work together to a close. And I just knew straight away that I wouldn't be doing that and that it was more about the money for her than it was actually my mental health. Um, so I just ignored the email completely and just carried on with my new therapist and yeah there's there's been no looking back good for you good good for you definitely I think you needed to kind of do that and shut that door right and just kind of move definitely. on for sure good. I think um we have this sort of saying in our family and it's you MOT your car so why wouldn't you MOT your mind so Agreed. for me therapy has been like an MOT <laughs> that I go to every other week or once a month or every two months um just to debrief to go for any troubles or any feelings that I might be having and to work a, out a way forward yeah, yeah I think everyone, I think everyone has to find their own little little way out don't they they always have to find their own little um light at the end of the tunnel definitely Um, so obviously you've had your journey with the therapy and the therapist. Yeah. Um, how do you cope with your grief outside of therapy? Um, so for me, it's about acknowledging my grief um, and knowing that if I wake up and feel sad or I feel demotivated or teary, then that's completely fine and that's completely normal. Um but what I won't allow is for it to turn into two days to then three days and let it sort of spiral out of control. Um, so if I wake up and I feel down, then I just let myself feel down. 
but then I'll try to do something to sort of make myself feel a bit better so that it doesn't continue into the next day and then the next day. Um, and that's worked for me. And also having my therapist, I'm able to message her whenever I feel sad, whenever I feel down. And then she'll give me sort of like an activity to do um, to help me think about something different or um, to help me out of sort of my sad little blip. Um, yeah. And going out for walks and getting fresh air and talking as well. I always find like talking about my grief and talking about my mum really helps um, in keeping her memory alive. Is there any um, any specific advice you'd give to somebody who's going through something similar to you or similar to us as grievers? Yeah, so um, my advice would be that um, being selfish is okay and putting yourself first before others is okay. And if someone's not helping you or being supportive, then it's okay to take a step back from sort of the situation and just um, distance yourself from that person or people. Um, and yeah, just taking time for yourself and doing things that make you feel good or help you and not what's best for someone else. Yeah, I like that. Um is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Is there anything that you'd like to share about your mom? Um, anything about life? Is there any? I'd le I'll leave the floor open to you to share what you would like to. Um, yeah. So my mom was like an extremely outgoing um, person. She, you'd give her some advice, and she'd do the complete opposite, and that's what I loved so much about her. Um, and I try to sort of live how she would live and she lived in the moment and she sort of like didn't really have any regrets and um, if a situation sort of happened she'd always look forward and I try to sort of take on her her mindset really um, and doing little things that keep her memory alive for example like eating her favorite food or having a cup of tea because I whenever she'd come and visit me she'd literally drink me out of house and home of tea um <laughs> uh going on walks doing things that she loved doing just to like yeah keep her memory alive keep her um just to, <laughs> it helps me to carry on and keep going and um and to make her proud um so yeah she was just an incredible woman and talking to her talking about her to you today just makes me realize about how special she was to me and all the things that she did and how she's really sort of helped me grow as a person like I think I've definitely changed for the better since losing her and I've acknowledged what's important and what's not important. Um, and I guess you could feel the same. Um, you realise that sort of life's too short um, and life's for the living sort of thing. Yes. Well, uh, it, your mum sounded like a very, very kind 
generous, lovely woman. And, you know, the stories that you've shared have been really nice. And I'm sure she would be super, super, super proud of what you're doing and raising awareness for sepsis and sharing your journey and through whatever you've been through, I'm sure she'd be smiling thinking about all the lovely and wonderful things that you're doing right now. So you should be really, really proud of yourself, as I'm sure she will be. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for sharing your story with me and everybody else as well. And I'm hoping people who are listening can kind of take note on some of the stuff that you've shared, because I think you've shared some really, really valid, valid points um, about, about yeah about sepsis about therapy about you know what you've been through and stuff it takes a brave person to to share their journey and that's that's what it's all about isn't it and yeah keeping your mom's memory alive I think that's what we all try and we've all got to try and do keep talking about them sharing their stories you know doing doing all of that definitely and when it comes to sort of therapy and stuff I think it's about finding someone who works for you um and that although I had a bad experience to begin with my second experience was incredible so I don't want that to put anyone off of therapy um, because therapy in itself is a journey um, and you have to get on with your therapist to be able for it to be able to help you so I think it's definitely if you're considering therapy to to do your research look into different types of therapy because my first um, therapy was talking therapy And so each time I'd go to my appointment, I'd be the one who would have to start the conversation um, and just talk for 50 minutes straight. And then the second type of therapy I went into is something called solutions therapy. So I would go to my appointment, I would sit down, I would talk to my therapist about any sort of worries or feelings that I had. And then from there, she would sort of, talk to me for the rest of the appointment um sort of like hypnotherapy really um to try and like help your brain understand what's happening and what's process what you're processing um so yeah definitely look into different types of therapy and look into things that you think might help you yeah I think that's key I think you've got to find somebody that you kind of connect with and have that relationship with almost to kind of Mm -hmm. share something so deep and something so close to your heart it's you don't want to share it with anybody do you no no definitely not well thank you for um talking to me joe it's been lovely talking to you and listening to your journey and i'm hoping it helps people out there listening yeah i hope so too brilliant thank you so much i really appreciate you giving me the opportunity No problem at all. You take care, Joe, and I'll speak to you soon. You too. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.